1: For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Pod. Pod. Poddiva. Pod Diva.
2: You're listening to Poddiva, the world's leading brand for LGBTQIA women and non-binary people. I'm Rachel Shelley, and this week the Poddiva team are on a short summer break. So we're flashing back to earlier this year in an interview with the ethereal Taylor Hickson, Star of the smash hit TV show *Motherland: Fort Salem*, Taylor Hickson talks to Diva editor Roxy Bordion about the amazing fan network, also known as Switches, her explosive chemistry with co-star Amalia Home, and what the role has taught her about female power.
3: Part Diva. Taylor, we are so excited about having you on the cover of diva like we adore you our readers are absolutely crackers for you absolutely love you and this is just really fantastic so I'm so so pleased thank you thank you so much for for sharing your time and your thoughts with us I graciously thank you for the same thank you so where am I talking to you from Taylor are you in Vancouver at the moment I am. I am. I've just had my first day
4: back at work in, uh, in a long time, uh, shooting season three. So I'm very, very excited.
3: And where are you? Where are you coming from? I'm uh, dialing in live from uh, from London, from the UK. Oh, amazing. <laughs> thank you for,
4: for making the exception to I know our time differences are very far apart. So thank you.
3: Absolutely. My pleasure. So you've just had your first day back on Motherland filming the next season yeah yes yes
4: I've um I got into a car accident so I took a took a little time off and uh now I'm, I'm able to come back and, and join our team and I'm just glowing I'm so happy <laughs> we have so many tears um they're going above and beyond they made me the most beautiful room to have quiet time in it was the, the most beautiful welcome back I'm so so beyond lucky to to have the people around me that i do and um and especially this far in the show you know people get tired and to have so much conscious work and effort into into a welcome back means beyond what you know anything i could articulate
3: of course no, i'm so glad that they've made that a kind of safe welcoming place for you so you're tell me about your car accident taylor are you okay <laughs> how recently was that i'm okay um so it was mid-November I yeah I'm okay I just got
4: a good good conk to the head so um naturally these things aren't aren't linear so I motherland gave me some time off for for healing and they were so conscious of of my safety and well-being and you know I initially tried to argue because I didn't want to leave work for no for any reason I've never left work regardless of the circumstances so that was a bit of a hard (laughs) hard hit to my ego to have to eventually ask for help and understand that I needed that downtime because organically I think I'm a yes man but um they saw that that I did need the downtime and I'm so grateful that they gave it to me because now returning to work I can give 100% of my best self um whereas I think I would have been stretching myself far too thin they wouldn't have gotten good work out of me and and they they know they knew what was best for my safety before I did so I'm I'm very grateful, but um, yeah, things with uh, head trauma aren't aren't always so linear. Um, I've had quite a few in the past, which is why I think this one was quite difficult to overcome, but um, we're working on it. It's a work in progress and I'm feeling substantially better with so much help and love and care from the people around me. I'm very,
3: very grateful. Well, I hope you're okay. Sending lots of love and healing energy from the UK. I hope that you, I hope that you're doing okay and your recovery goes well. And I'm glad that people are looking out for you because that sounds yeah. really tough.
2: Yeah,
4: it was, it was more a learning curve about myself, I think, and, and understanding what, what was my ego pushing forward and then versus, I suppose, what I actually needed and, and having to ask for help when I'm, I like the role of a caretaker in my life. I've, I always have. I think it it's something that I attribute to value and in my own moral standards. And um, it was difficult to have to ask to be looked after. And I think that was that was a, a really great learning curve for me was to find a balance
3: there. So Taylor, I have to talk to you about the show that has got, it seems the world to me. It's got all the DVDs hooked. It's got all of queer Twitter losing the minds. We have to talk about the fabulous Motherland Fort Salem So this amazing show first came on my radar when a fan reached out to me as editor of Diva and wanted to tell me about how this show had changed their life. And then (laughs) it honestly did. And then I watched it and I I absolutely loved it. So I know this show means the world to so many people. What does Motherland Fort Salem mean to you? Oh man, (laughs)
4: I mean, that's the last four years i think it's it's community it's family it's support it's feeling seen feeling heard um and it started on such a small scale and it's extended to be so grandiose and international you know originally those things were just felt between us a small group that was just creating art in, in the stages you know and and to have that family continue to extend branches and um find community and find value in each other and over over content, you know what I mean? Just to feel feel seen, feel understood, to feel like you're being related to or that you are relating to content. This is something that I speak often about because I don't think that's something I was ever deprived of. You know, just my physical profile and the way that I grew up. I always saw myself in media. That was never something that I had to fight for. So it wasn't until I left the little baby town that I grew up in um, and I started seeing some of the world and meeting people of all ages um, and extending my network of, of friends and chosen family that I truly began to understand the concept and you know question what I wanted for myself and what I stood for, what the content that I'm a part of, that I put out, means to me. This motherland obviously was a very, um, very big shift in my trajectory as to what I stand for and what I use my platform for and what's important to me. So I'm eternally grateful for that and I think motherland is um, is now a, a part of I don't know, it's, it's a part of questioning identity and asking the bigger questions and challenging yourself and what your beliefs mean to you what sacrifice means to you, where you sit in the gray of all of that.
3: Beautiful, you're ever so eloquent eloquent and clever. You're (laughs) very, very eloquent, that was all beautiful. I messed up the word eloquent, which made me sound (laughs) like, but you're very, very good, excellent. It seems like the show has had a profound impact on your life. It has also, as we know, profoundly impacted the lives of particularly queer people around the world. How soon into the process of making this series did you clock on that, hang on a second, I'm actually part of something much, much bigger, like this is really gonna make a difference?
4: Um, that's, that's so much uh, accredited to actors self-obsessing. You know, we're we're just, obsessed with our work and obsessed with getting to know each other and the psychology behind the characters and our relationships and what makes them what makes them tick what do they want most uh, it's it's so much like a, a deep dive psych class I'm sure if you got to audit our um, rehearsals it would very much parallel something to that so I mean Amalia and I and the girls and I we just took the time really getting to know each other and allowing the dynamic we had off-screen to sort of play into a you know much more grandiose scale, um, play into what we were doing with the content, spending time with each other and figuring each other out and where we came from and, and how to be honest about who we were in our storytelling. It wasn't until it was released and it was starting to get some pickup on media that we understood the gravity of what it was we had created. I mean especially, I, I, I don't want to speak for Amalia, but I, I think Amalia and I have had enough conversation that we both very much agree. We were a bit blindsided by the amount of support and love and appreciation put into what we were just playing with in, in terms of our craft. I must thank Elliot and Brian and you know all the writers because I think they kind of had a, an inkling as to what we were doing and what, what they wanted from this project, and it was something that I actively missed. I, for sure, myself actively missed, and um, we were just obsessed with playing with our chemistry rather than understanding the impact it might have in terms of storytelling, what it might mean for queer kids, you know, people growing up at this time and playing with identity and asking the bigger, bigger stuff. It's... It's quite heavy when you look at it, you know? Um, and we were just making so much light out of it. We were just having fun playing. So it wasn't, I think, until we started interacting online that that we truly understood the way that the content had touched us, it was, it was doing the same outwardly. And that's invaluable.
3: I think that, I love what you just said about, you weren't kind of conscious about the reaction it was going to create in the world because you and Amalia was so busy focusing on your chemistry and on the work. I think the fact that you two have both put so much craft and charisma and everything that you've poured into that relationship. Like I've, I'm a professional lesbian. I've watched a lot of queer TV, but that relationship, honestly, it's something special. And I guess what I'm saying is because you two were so focused on that and you did such a beautiful job of it. That's a big part of why it's been so impactful which is really gorgeous, really gorgeous. Also, I love Amalia. I interviewed Amalia. She is awesome and lovely. I have nothing but lovely words about Amalia. She's fab. I got to spend my
4: first day back with her and I was so, so grateful. Um, they, they were very conscious bringing me back in, you know, to try and minimize my overstimulation and, and keep things really low key. So we weren't even working with main unit. We, we have something called a splinter unit. Yeah. And yeah, and I got to just spend time with her, and and we just held each other for a long time, and it was it was such a nice energy to come back to because she's so self-aware, and actually, the day before I got in a car accident, she pulled me aside and she said, "I know you. I know what you're like, and I know because I see these things in myself. But you're pushing yourself too hard, and you need to you need to stop saying yes to everybody because you know." she's like i understand that you want to give constantly but then eventually you have nothing to give yourself and then therefore you have nothing to give to others which is completely defeats the purpose she really she's so intuitive that way and i think over the years of getting to know each other you know that's kind of (laughs) crossed the boundaries between um, Molly and silla and myself and rael and um just that genuine care and that that bond and really understanding each other and body language and what's behind the eyes and um she's always had that into it which I I think I'm a bit more aloof that way so I I think it really helps to feel seen by your your scene partner on and off you know that I think that really helps translate and um there's just so much care for each other as much as there is care in in what we do and I think that's what made it really really easy and organic so I've very much lucked out that way but we just um yeah, we were so focused on trying to get a reaction out of each other and, and testing each other. That's what new relationships are about. Like, if I push this button, what's the reaction I'm going to get? Does that work for me? Is that honest? You know, or are they inhibiting the way that they feel to get a reaction from the other person? It's just so much mind games. And so we, we were having so much fun playing with that that we didn't understand on a on a bigger scale, I, I can definitely say for myself, at least, um, the way that it would affect other people.
3: Well, it's that kind of like real nuanced characterization, and also got to say, sizzling chemistry. It <laughs> really does make it stand out among like there is a lot more queer content these days. Not all of it's fantastic representation, but there's a lot more out there than there used to be. And mm. yours, mm, it shines. It shines within that sea. Thank so. You. You and lovely, very wise Amalia. Ever so wise, isn't she? i can- so wise, yeah. truly. I learned so much from her. Yeah, I can see that, that you're saying about like the intuition. I can see that. You two obviously have a really close bond now and a really wonderful connection. Do you remember the first time that you met and what that was like and what your first impressions were? I was so scared of her <laughs> And I wanted her to like me so badly.
4: So I actually met her in L.A. during uh, the testing for the pilot, and I thought for sure it was actually going to be the other person because the the other person, there was two people going out for Scylla that they brought down that I got to test with. I had already had a rapport with the other person going out for this role, and they lived here, so we got to uh, practice chemistry and really get into it before we were flown down. So I thought for sure just because of that, that head start that i was like okay well if if they choose one of us likely the other one will come and come along in parallel and so we got there and the first day they were sort of swapping us all out it was like musical chairs you know they'd flip rails and flip sillas and tallies and just sort of see the dynamic and then they'd pull one in and switch the other out and i remember we broke for lunch and i walked out and the two people that auditioned for anacostia demetria being one of them and Amalia were all sitting outside having uh, lunch at a table, and my best friend Kelsey and I walked out uh, with her mom, and, you know, we, we said, how did it go in there? And Demetria pipes up, and she goes, well, I, I already got the call. I got it. And I was like, oh, my God, that's crazy. Like, the other person that went out for her role is sitting right beside her that's crazy that they called you already and then amalie pipes up and she goes, "Well, I got it too." And then I start scratching my head because I'm like, "Well, if I screw up the rest of these next couple days and I don't get her to like me and I don't win her affection, that's it." So the pressure was on for me and it took weeks following that for them to make a decision and I thought I I thought I'd biffed it. I was like, there's no way they're going to pick me. It's taking this long to get an answer. But I think because I wanted her affection, honestly, I, I wanted it. It because it was such an honest try hard effect that I I think it worked <laughs> because I I genuinely wanted her to like me and I wanted it to work and I and I'm not that person, you know what I mean?
3: Mm-hmm.
4: I'm generally very sure footed. I don't tend to care about the way other people dislike me yeah, because I'm very honest about who I am and I don't compromise that for other people. And if people genuinely don't like me, that means they they don't like who I am because I'm not putting on a show, I'm not being performative about the kind of person I am. So I've learned to really let that go and I don't take that to heart as criticism. And that's that's one of the traits of, of myself that I'm, I'm very grateful for because I think it allows me a lot of freedom and liberation in the way that I interact in my interpersonal relationships and my environment. So, yeah, I was pretty down bad when, when Amalia got the call. And I think that she genuinely made me nervous. And her intonation was so different from the way that it was written that anything I had rehearsed was thrown out the window. It was, I couldn't use it because it, she, wasn't, she wasn't making the obvious choices. And so I had to figure out a way to work around her, which is kind of how I think the beginning of a relationship is. So you're just testing each other and then we just continue to play with that after we um we both got the call and got in the same space. I think that honest want for her affection is kind of what <laughs> what sealed the sealed
2: the deal.
3: That makes total sense because you would have had that like alive in the moment electricity, like a real life dynamic that's playing between you, giving that frizz on. So that definitely makes sense. Totally and how did you feel when you found out you had got the role? They actually called me
4: the day before I actually got the call, but I didn't know this. They called me and told me that 2 weeks after I had done the tests in LA that they were going to continue looking for other people. So, I was kicking myself and I thought obviously they're not going to pick me. They're going to keep auditioning and then the next day they called me and said, just kidding, you got it. And I was like, I don't understand what the scare tactic was, but but it worked. I was much more uh, grateful and relieved, I think, than I would have been What it was the longest two weeks of my life. And yeah, I, I don't know ultimately how they came to the decision or how they made that turnaround so fast, but I'm grateful. <laughs> Whatever's working above, you know, in the higher powers, I'm very grateful for it.
2: Pot Diva.
0: Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first
4: purchase.
3: Diva. And then, so you find out you've got the role, Amalia's got the role. How did you, what process did you two then go through as actors and as, you know, people becoming friends, developing this professional um, relationship with each other? What process did you go through together to create that remarkable on-screen
4: connection? I mean, once we got there, I think it was a lot of Amalia pushing my boundaries and, and switching up whatever she was doing on her coverage versus mine. I think to really get a genuine surprise, she would do something completely different and so you'd get a genuine reaction. Nothing about what we would do was rehearsed. We would, we would exhaust our options to try and get reactions out of each other, which is, I, th- I think that's so much what new relationships are about, you know, testing the water. How does this person react if I talk about my old relationships? How does this person react when they can see that I'm frustrated? How does this person want to take care of me? What are their love languages? How do they respond? How do they want to be loved? versus how do they love? So it was so much testing the waters. Do they like when I touch them in public? Do they, and these are little things that aren't written, but that we would try. Does it feel comfortable if I put my hand on your back? Um, And, you know, she she would do funny things like, pick me up and spin me in a scene. We'd we'd play with the masculine versus feminine tropes. and understanding balance. And I think so much of that is what built a mutual respect, which I think helped me understand my relationships better. Because in the past, I think there was always a, a power imbalance in my personal relationships. There was always one caretaking the other more so in a way that maybe felt more paternal rather than equal. It helped me understand what I want so much is to have a teammate. I, don't, I, don't, I want to be taken care of as much as I am taken care someone else and what respect means in a relationship and what honesty means and being able to understand when someone's being genuine or remorseful and um playing with the gray in between good and bad and black and white because i think there is there's so much there to be discovered and i think in, in general storytelling it is so black and white They don't challenge the gray and that's not honest. That's not how people are. People aren't innately good or bad. People do things out of the honesty of what they believe is moral. You know, someone going to steal from a big company to keep their children fed, is that's gray area, but that's honest, that's our world. And I think motherland challenges those tropes. And it it was nice to be able to play with something that felt honest, especially over such a length of time being able to work in television, you don't always get that in a feature, you don't get the whole story, you get a piece. And so this, this has been such a a wonder to be able to work out what a relationship looks like, even in the boring parts, as much as you know, the exhausting parts are the parts that are horrible and sad or angry and happy and I, I just, you know, it's not it's not honest to just see someone fall in love and have bliss. So it's yeah, so much about honesty, I think, and um, bringing in our own past experiences to to play with and understanding boundary and discipline within the self and with another person.
3: And you mentioned basically, Taylor, you keep on saying really interesting, clever things. And I keep on making a thousand mental notes and thinking, <laughs> oh, I better ask more about that. That sounds great. <laughs> so you're doing great for a bit of feedback for you. You're doing great so loved. There were a few things I wanted to pick up on there. One was, you said love languages. So what is Rael and Scylla's love languages? I mean,
4: having been through so much distance and and divide, I'd say the thing they both long for most is quality time. Um, Secondly, would probably be physical touch. I think Rael's quite quite touchy and she doesn't really care if they're onlookers. She takes what she wants. Amalia's acilla would, would probably be quality time, but maybe next to that is gifts. I think she she finds romance through gesture and being a bit grandiose. You know, I think she's quite a true romantic at heart and rael is a bit of an unconventional romantic, but she loves so much that her her partner is that way. And I think it's, I don't think anyone's ever really done that for rail. You know, people, she's such an underdog. People have constantly misunderstood her. She's always fighting for her role in what it means to be valuable or what it means to be a part of her community and what value means to her in general, fighting with the self too. Acts of service is funny enough. I think a big one for them, just being there when you need the other person. I think that's Binded their connection in, in being there when the other one needs them and and understanding what that means to make the other person feel loved. Um, even in little things, whether it's you know helping with little tasks little gestures just to let the other person know i'm here, whether it's just like a. hand grab or eye contact, I think they have a really intuitive understanding with each other um, you know, me and Molly play with that all the time when people are having conversation and it's just like any any inside jokes we might have made, we share looks about like, oh, this person's feeling this way, you know, these are little things that might not always catch on camera, but I think add so much to the dynamic of on and off screen intimacy.
3: Definitely. And I also wanted to pick up on a moment that you mentioned because Amalia also mentioned it. And it's when there's the pickup and the spinning round and the way that she described it was like, this is notebook shit. We're querying a notebook, which I absolutely love. I absolutely love. Yeah, totally. she
4: really took me by surprise. It was really honest giggles. She said, can I try something on this next take? I was like, yeah, but we, you know, we always communicate to each other. We don't always necessarily explain what it might be. She's like, can I just try something? And I was like, okay, which always, I think gives me a little bit of giddiness or it's a little unnerving. So we're walking in with that energy, honestly, you know, how you, how you do feel when you're with your partner, how you just, you could be sitting in silence. Where you just feel like you want to laugh constantly because you're giddy and you're present and i think they find so much presence within each other you know when they're alone it's they stop thinking they stop thinking about all the bullshit that surrounds them and and the fight for life and death on such a grand scale and just being able to enjoy each other's presence i think rail really stops thinking she does that so much her brain never stops she doesn't sleep well she doesn't eat well, her brain's constantly going and it's, it's um, a merry-go-round with herself. I think she's her worst, her worst critic as we all tend to be wanting to find value and in the way that she can help people. I think she really wants to take after her mom that way. Yeah, we would just sort of (laughs) play around with being present and it, it feels that way. Amalia has a a superpower as I like to call it. Um, we, we always used to make a joke on set that she was the siren because with her eye contact, she could ask you to kill someone on her behalf and you'd lovingly agree. <laughs> and everyone feels this way. So yeah, she definitely had a, a one up over me in that sense, but. Jess once gave me a really interesting um, trick, a tip. And it's when you're building an intimate, generally romantic relationship someone on screen to pick something that you truly love about them and use that and refer to that you know when you're falling in love and you're just watching someone talk and then you just kind of get so lost in in yourself and your own feelings and that little fluttering thing in your stomach and and you kind of feel like you're gonna throw up or like maybe you're sweating a little too much or you just you're on the nerve of laughing and you're just watching them be because they're not conscious of What's going on around them they're maybe passionately speaking about something or just being honestly who they are just for a second you're not paying attention to anything they're saying you're just watching them be i think amalia has a um, has that energy that just draws you in and you want to stay there you want to stay in that little protected bubble and you, it's so easy to forget what's around you she's just watching her be and watching her animation her expression and trying to figure out what she's thinking versus what's she, what she's speaking and i think that cognitive processing is what made it's what made it so genuine is because i was just watching her be animated and be her and it was really easy to get lost in yeah that was another one of the things we played with but it was just we she she loved to throw me off <laughs> <Which is something laughs> i'm now very grateful for but um so much of it was so playful even in the even in the dark shit. Mm. She just brought such a playfulness to, to everything. And that's such a, a beauty to her is to, uh, to be able to switch that intensity on and off. That's something I I love about her so much. And you never know. She's so unpredictable that way. She's she's very honestly like that. The same as Scylla. Just to be able to turn that intensity on and off. And then she's goofy. And then she says something that's absurdly funny. And you're just like, where did that come from? You know, you were being so intense and and just she just has the most wicked brand of humor a wise she's she's very easy if you just watch her the work does itself
3: (laughs) truly I'd love to know how did you feel about playing a queer character on screen in the role of Raelle was that something that you as an actor thought about was it something you were anxious about was it something that doesn't really come into your mind what's your view on that
4: well it wasn't something that I necessarily pay attention to the biggest thing for me is because I have so many friends in the queer community is doing is doing it justice and bringing it honesty and and making it genuine that's my biggest obstacle for me that's that's the only hesitance there is just doing it justice but I mean I am that way in all my roles you know so it's not to say that it's because it was a queer role but it's never something I I think about it wasn't a question of sexuality it was just a question of genuity and doing it justice and honoring the community and honoring my friends.
3: And then something else that I really love about the show is how many juicy female parts there are like how female dominated it is. This in itself is an absolute (laughs) glorious gift. What was it like and what is it like working among a cast of so many fabulous strong women? It was so much
4: learning. I mean, uh, as you can imagine, um, learning about witchcraft has been so interesting because it's really helped me to understand the patriarchy and helped me understand why the women think and interact the way they do today. We, we have been set up to challenge each other, to be mistrusting of each other um, since the witch trials. You know, we were bribed to turn on each other to save ourselves. And the way that that has expanded on today's scale is so interesting. The way that it it comes across in media or just in little interactions. I've always, I've spoken about this before. I've always struggled with my relationship with women. I think I bring a very masculine energy to the way that I think and communicate. I take everything at face value. I'm very naive that way. I think I get taken advantage of because I don't, I'm not that intuitive. But I'm grateful to have friends around me that are. So, you know, they really look out for me that way. But I, because I take everything at face value, anything someone says to me, I also take it that way. I assume the way that I think is how others interact, which is where my naivety plays. But um, yeah, it's been so nice to to learn about femininity and and play into it. And the more I've gotten into witchcraft or Wiccan history in in any means, um, I've learned so much about myself and, and how much I've abandoned my femininity just to be taken seriously in a room. You know, I think being being a young woman and because my naivety has gotten me into so much trouble anytime i walk into a place of business or i'm dealing with contracts i i tend to put my masculine energy forward i i've always assumed that people wouldn't take me seriously unless i walked into a room and acted like a man and that was a big learning curve on the show was understanding the strength and femininity and bringing in that yin and yang Playing with dark energy as much as light energy, and how much strength there is in that, and I think I so misunderstood and so discredited the strength in female energy, and I think that's so much of the problem. Walking into a room of intimidated of women that are, I find found very intimidating was my first uh, key point that I played into was why Why am I intimidated by these people? Why do we all feel instinctively threatened because we're all strong personalities because we all stand up for ourselves because we are honest in who we are and we don't take shit. Shouldn't that bind you? <laughs> you know, shouldn't that shouldn't that create community, shouldn't that create a team rather than divide? I worked really hard to abandon that that mind frame. Walking into it and and trying to understand where my nervousness was coming from and why I was so intimidated by women and my relationship to women and why I thought I always got along better with with males, and I think it was just so much about misunderstanding myself and not and ab- trying to abandon my own femininity. And I think that resent against finding femininity or feminine energy being weak and thinking that I wouldn't be taken seriously played so much into the way that I was interacting with women, and that it had nothing to do with anybody else and everything to do with me. That was a massive change in the way that I interact and in, and in opening my trust. I think I learned so much that way. Once you open yourself to to opportunity, you'll find that it opens itself up back so it, it created some lifelong relationships and I think I understand people so much more just through watching them work and watching their talents and the way that they interact all so differently they're all so different and they're all so special in their own way and I have so much respect for them and their their personal lives and, and their craft as well they all bring something so special into the room when they're creating and that's um I cherish it and I've watch them nuance the psychology in in each one of these really special characters and and the strength that they've brought to my life I'm very 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 grateful to these women I owe
3: them a lot they've taught me so much about myself very grateful this is an extraordinary fandom who is so passionate and so invested, they will buy a billboard for you. Like they will, they really adore you and rightfully so. But how do you feel, Taylor? How do you feel t- about this, this amazing group of fans that you've, that you've amassed? <laughs> this
4: is, uh, this one's hard. I get it. I, I've been so, so much change in my life right now. It's, this has been something that's been very steady. I truly don't even know how to articulate. I don't know how to begin the sentence every time I'm asked the outpouring of genuine love for the cast and my well-being is is not typical to what you'd credit to a fandom it's much more like family it's it's so foreign to me to have that rapport with strangers to have that that genuine lens to just see each other without interacting face to face or hearing intonation and the playfulness and how we can banter and how there's so much honest love and care that goes into the content they create and what we create and how how there can be so much respect and compassion to what we get to wake up and do every day that's a gift in itself that we we are paid to get up and create and do the very thing that we love the very thing that drives us that is a gift in itself and to have someone appreciate that as much as you do is, is not it's ethereal. Like it's not It's not something that I think I'll ever adjust to or it's so still so foreign to me to have that community. It feels like family. And um, I'm so grateful that I have <laughs> thousands of strangers reminding me to drink enough water every day and making sure that I see every picture of a cute duck possible to just get a little flood of serotonin And them. I care so, so much about them. And I am so excited to to meet them and you know get out of this pandemic and to finally hold everyone and and see the faces behind all all of this all of this love. I like there there isn't enough adjectives to explain the the undying support. The foundation is so strong behind these people, and it's for them to all come together and find relation and connection through just one common brand of content blows my mind it's just like you don't realize the the ripple effect it takes and it's so much bigger than the thing we've created it's so much bigger than that and that that's that's where I massively undervalued what it was that we were creating and um it's yeah it's such a gift and it's now played into the trajectory of what I go on to create and what I want to do with my life and and how I affect people how we take care of each other ultimately inspiring for me it's ta- it's taught me a lot about what I want for my future. I think there was always a big question mark. It's it's given me a sense of direction and what's important to me and in, in my mission, in the trajectory of my life. That's the impact it's had.
3: And what do you want for your future?
4: I'm working on a company that I'm I'm hoping will change the way that we look at products. It's it's set me into a different frame of thinking, outside of myself and outside of my needs, looking for what's missing because that was my grandest mistake (laughs) going into motherland was not seeing the bigger picture and being so focused on the on the little things on the ground all the menial things and um, not asking the bigger questions and not challenging myself and only being obsessed with what hurt me or what I did or didn't relate to so I think it sort of broke that that chain of narcissism and and (laughs) for lack of a better word that self-obsession and wanting to wanting to give back to people that have given so much to me, people that I look up to as idols in my life and what they've been through to to be who they are and to be who they stand for and and just being a sort of a platform to to push that message across and and being a part of the foundation. I want to be a part of the foundation that that holds all of these stories and that holds these people strong. That's that's where I want to that's what I want to do with my life. Yeah. And create music and content and products that make people feel seen and understood and listened to. I think That's that's what makes me feel most loved in my life. That's what I attribute to value is when I'm really listened to. And I was so self obsessed and only having that received that um, I, I, I understand how good it feels when when I really feel listened to when I feel like people are hearing my thoughts and feelings and my wants. And if that's such a strong love language for me, then, you know, why can't I give that back?
3: That's what I want to do. Amazing. You are such a joy. You have a wonderful, wonderful energy. Taylor, (laughs) I was already a fan. I'm an even... even bigger fan you my love are wonderful you really are I just have a couple more things I want to ask you sweetheart so one of those is just to get a bit of a sense of your life before before the show so what was that like did you always know that you wanted to perform like what were you like before you learned all these fabulous lessons that you've learned and and got this life-changing role
4: oh man Um, since I was a kid I I always commanded attention you know like there's home videos of my mom filming my sister. And if the camera wasn't on me, then I would take all my clothes off and be like, Mom, look over here. You know, I always wanted attention. My original drive was to, to head into a career for music. And, you know, I did a lot of in music. I did a lot of musical theater when I was a kid, but it was mostly just so I could have an opportunity to, to get up on stage and sing. It wasn't the acting that drew me in. I, I tried a couple of things. My parents were like, oh my God, she needs so much attention. Like, put her in the arts, please. Put her on a stage. We can't give her what she needs. It's not enough. Yeah, it was a very dramatic child, which I, I somewhat grew out of. But maybe I just sort of transformed or or used it as a vehicle to to deliver my energy and to to get what I need from from the world. It was a very dramatic child. I loved speaking to strangers. I was trusting. I was always running out in the house, talking to people on the street. My mom would you know wouldn't be able to find me, I, I was always looking for affirmation and connection and, and limelight. That's that's where I felt best about myself, was where I could just, you know, <laughs> command attention, which is very funny. As I grew up, I it was I was writing a lot of music and I was performing a lot locally. My dad would come and play with me. He's a wicked guitar player. Uh, so We'd write music together and, and sort of tour around British Columbia and and play shows. I struggled a bit in high school, through most of school, through most of grade school. It wasn't a great, great place for me. I, I I, made a lot of friends. I didn't find the deep connections, and I felt like people were much more focused on who was sleeping with who and gossip, and, and I, I wanted to talk about bigger things a lot of the time, and I didn't feel like I I didn't feel heard. I didn't feel related to, um, there was a very select few that where I felt genuinely seen. And, you know, there was like a lot of falling outs and drama and I didn't take well to that. So I thought I don't need to be here. I'm going to go, I'm going to go play my music. I want to do something else. So I graduated at 16. I graduated early and I attempted to start my career. And a few months after that, a family friend offered me to try acting out. And uh, so I, why not? Why not that I could do like I could do, sort of do this on the side or try it out, but I just I knew that I had to do it and I didn't know why and there had n- never been anything. indicative in my past of wanting to be an actor besides when I was a little kid and I found it so therapeutic I booked my first thing and I just kept going and I kept going and. it's brought me here, but it was I find so many people in film end up that way you know they'll be chasing a trade or they'll be chasing something totally different and then they have this opportunity out of nowhere to come be on a film set it's like a temporary space where you're just going to fill this little blanket of time and then leave. There's so much love and joy in creating and all working towards a common goal that I think that's why people stay. And I remember the first time that I saw a massive set, one of my first speaking roles was a Marvel set and it was like a hive of worker bees. And I was, I remember looking around and seeing that everyone had a job and, you know, if one of these people were missing, something would be awry, everything wouldn't work. It was all these moving pieces in this machine. My recognition that I'm a little moving piece in this machine and where do I fall in there? I wanted to know what every single person's job was. And I wanted to say that you know, by the end, I, by the end of my career in film, I want to understand what each of this, these people do and how to do it. And it was sort of my obsession with that and understanding how all of these things come together to make art that I stayed. And that sort of <laughs> led my trajectory here.
3: And we have talked about all sorts of wonderful stuff. Is there anything that we have not covered, Taylor, that you want to talk about, that you want to share with Diva Readers that we haven't, that we haven't touched on? I don't think so. I think I sort of bled my heart dry there. <laughs>
4: but that's what it's about. It's about honesty. No, thank you so much for the time to just really let me talk about myself. Appreciate it so much. These things can often feel so silly, but you you ask such beautiful, thoughtful questions. You care about the content, and you care about what you're doing, and uh, I admire so much people like you. And that's that's where you know I, that's what I look up to, and those are the steps I hope to follow. So, thank you for setting such a beautiful example, and um, thank you for allowing me to be a little moving piece in your journey.
3: Oh, Taylor, you're gonna set me off, sweetheart. <laughs> That was very lovely thank you ever so much ever so much for chatting it's been such a pleasure such a thrill thank you for for the opportunity so much and 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 the
4: platform to speak about the things I love again it it feels so silly that anyone should care but thank you thank you for caring it's
3: so welcome thank you
4: I appreciate it so much and you have such a beautiful energy so thank you
3: I just want to blow you lots of kisses, Taylor. Just think, mwah. <laughs> you don't love it. Mwah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
2: Pod Diva. Thank you for listening to Pod Diva in association with Diva Magazine, the world's leading brand for LGBTQI plus women and non-binary people. Please listen and subscribe on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Diva Magazine. You can email us at editorial at divamag.co.uk. Pod Diva, queers for your ears.